Welcome to the Chalk Talk Gym podcast, where we explore insights into healthcare that help uncover new opportunities for growth and success. I'm your host, Jim Jordan. Welcome back to our podcast. Today, we're going to delve into the fascinating world of how artificial intelligence is driving healthcare innovation. And our guest today is Aziz Druk, and he's a visionary CEO of Free.ai. His product is an AI-powered medical scribing startup, and he's trying to revolutionize clinical charting. And his journey into the realm of AI and healthcare began in Israel, where he honed his mathematics and computer science skills at Technion, often referred to as the MIT of Israel. His career trajectory took a significant turn when he moved to California to work with Facebook, which was actually a stepping stone that ignited his passion for startups and entrepreneurship. His experience in the startup ecosystem is rich and diverse. His first startup was a government procurement platform that achieved considerable success and most importantly to its investors, a successful exit. However, it was his personal life that brought him into healthcare. His wife is a doctor and their circle of clinician friends exposed him to the cumbersome reality of clinical documentation. This exposure led him to free.ai. He saw a pressing opportunity to alleviate the administrative burden clinicians face, particularly in charting, and he found a solution that would allow them to have appropriate notes, do appropriate clinical charting while increasing their time with their patient. So I thank you for joining us today. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about yourself? Moved to California to work for Facebook. So that was my kind of move in the beginning of my career. I spent three and a half years there as an engineer and as a tech lead. And after that, I was always interested in startups and entrepreneurship. I don't even know why, but I read about it. I always wanted to do it. So after three and a half years, I left Facebook to work on my first startup, which was called Urban Leap. Urban Leap was a government procurement platform. We sold to local governments across the U.S. It was quite successful, not too successful. And... We won't go too deep into that, but after five years, we five years we decided that it's just time to move on. That wasn't working as well as we wanted it to. So that was a year ago. And basically the next day I started working on my next startup. So startup, I was very motivated and energized to apply my learnings and keep doing the inter- entrepreneurship thing. So I spent a few times exploring and after the healthcare space in general, and after a few months realized that my purpose, at least with this startup, is to help clinicians in the best possible way that I can. Uh, my wife is a fellow medicine doctor. We met seven years ago, just before med school. So I went through the experience of med school, residency. A lot of our friends are clinicians. So I, I truly experienced the pain and it's a, it's quite a, quite a pain. So I think I had a lot of insight what those folks need. And that was the inception of Freed, which is my second startup, which is all about helping clinicians with their administrative burdens, and specifically, we were focusing on charting. So it's an AI scribe that really automates uh, charting. And that brings us to today. That's my uh, background here. So I appreciate that because that fills in the gap of looking at your LinkedIn profile and figuring out how you found this very specific problem of through marriage. <laughs> As you saw this, tell me how you saw how this issue and describe exactly what problem you're solving fits within the continuum of healthcare now that you have some family ties to this, what specifically is this software solving and, and how does it help clinicians? Yeah, I'd say specifically, I think the experience of watching so many aspiring clinicians come out into med school and the residency and the practicing and just seeing their 
excitement and love for medicine would waver down pretty dramatically to the point of, won't name my wife or anything, but to the point of crying very frequently, like people are quitting. And okay, it's actually crazy that in, in healthcare, like in this profession, like burnout, it's like having a cold. Oh, I'm burned out. It's a normal thing, but it's quite terrible. So it's very real. And again, clinicians are quitting the profession. Suicide rates in this profession are... Way, 400 doctors a year, roughly, in the US. Yeah, way higher than they should be. And then population. So I would say that's the broad problem. Now, why is this problem exist? Why, why is this the case? Uh, I think there are many reasons, but a big one, big one is just the burden of things that are not really medicine that are very important. Charting, billing, placing orders, pre-charting, so much complexity that really burdens down uh, clinicians. Just, just yesterday, my wife and I, uh, she had a day, my wife had a day off after a very long time. And we went on a walk and, oh, what should I do today? I have so many things to do. And she said, it was interesting. She said, oh, I have so many notes to do, but if I only do my notes, I only do notes in my life. I have other things to do as well. There's always notes to do. It's like such a thing that really burdens patients. It's always in the background, something that they have to be doing. So, so that's the broad problem. But if we get specific, what we decide to focus on first is charting. We realized that AI can do a lot of this. It's not that hard now with technology to summarize the conversation, put it in the right format, structure it the, the right way. And that's what we're doing. So we have a very simple product, Freed, that it's as simplest as you can imagine. It's a very simple app. It's a start button and a stop button. So a clinician, when they start a conversation with the patient, they press start. When the patient leaves, they press finish. And within a minute, they get very high quality documentation that they, they can then use to put into their EHR. And this really allows them to not worry about the charting during the encounter, be present with the patient and uh, get the documentation done much quicker and with less effort. So I think this is exciting because when the electronic health records start, it's been around for a while now, it's made sense to make sure clinicians were making sure that the appropriateness was there. But the system hasn't really evolved to the workflow. And when you think about these notes as you're talking about it, it is simply data acquisition, right? As an IT person, it's basically how do you get the information into the computer? And right. you're taking the most expensive resource, the physician, right. and having them do it. And your burnout is that most, every physician I've ever talked to, because I always say it this way, physicians are the, some of the top 2%, 5% of brains in this country, which means they can go into any profession that they want to apply themselves to and, and do very well. So they can they're going to make a lot of money in a lot of different places if they chose to do it, but they choose to help people and that's their passion. And these systems are, are taking them the way. So your product by its very nature is basically allowing them to make these notes. Is it real time when they're actually with the patient? Can they talk and record their discussions with the patient in a way that the data acquisition is happening while they are engaging with the patient themselves? Or is it something I have to do after? Yeah. So read time. So Fried listens to the conversation, captures it, and then once the encounter is over, then within 30 seconds to a minute, we generate the full note. But hey, it's all based. The goal here is really to not create any new, just take things off the plates of clinicians. Not, we don't want them to do things after, before, set up. We just, we kept the conversation, get you a 90% ready note to use. And by the way, I really liked what you said. I think clinicians not only are, at the top 2% of kind of intelligence, they're also at the top 2% of goodness. So they go yes. into this profession from the goodness of their hearts. Like it, it just very 
true, I think. And then we screw them over with having to do notes and then and out of this type of work that is very burdensome and really crushes them. And we don't actually pay them for the note. So I think that one of the things that maybe people don't understand, and I know we're moving towards a, a system of that's a little less connected to pay and do, but to this day, even with that, it's still a pay and do. How many patients have you seen? How much do you get for that yeah. patient? They're actually taking these notes and taking away from their capacity to be able to see another patient. Now the balance is they, a good quality note. So you call it a SOAP note. Can you explain to the audience what SOAP stands for? Yeah, so SOAP is the most generic basic medical note, which is subjective, what did the patient said, objective, what are the objective findings? So if you ran a lab or an exam, what is that? And then assessment and plan is essentially the work of the clinician of say, okay, my assessment is COVID-19, here's what we're going to do. And all of that information is present in the conversation. Again, as you said, the problem is to put it in the right terms, in the right structure, in the right place, in the EHR. And all of that AI can now do. It can actually do it at least at the level of humans, if not better. And it can do it without effort and cost and burning out clinicians. Now, what is the AI part of this? Is it, I think of the software Otter for just transcriptions. Are you familiar right. with Otter? Yes, um, yes. So how is it different from something like Otter? Is it trained on healthcare specifically? Is it? Yeah, so it's, honestly, it's, it is, as you said, a conversation summarizer designed for healthcare. So that means three things. It's designed for the needs of the clinician in terms of how it works. It's, a, it's designed to work for any clinician who picks it up right away in terms of the workflow and how it's structured. Secondly, it's HIPAA compliant, secure. We really built it. Like, I'll give one example. We don't store recordings because that would not help with HIPAA compliant. It, it's possible, but it's not the right thing to do for patient privacy. And lastly, it's all the brain behind it, the AI, it's all structured around designed to work well in medical context. So the way we um, do the transcription, the way we, the, essentially how we designed our system to really produce a high quality medical clinical grade medical note. And that's really our focus. We're not trying to reinvent the entire AI world. We're just trying to apply it the best possible way for the need of clinicians and the kind of level of quality and accuracy that is required for this to, to work in healthcare. So it struck me as I, we had talked earlier that I had done some nonprofit and profit venture capital work. And that one of the things that struck me is when healthcare IT companies were investing in and were asked, we asked them, how can you get into the electronic health record? Because if there's 6,000 hospitals and you can only get into 2% of the records then your market opportunity is small. And what struck me is you're not really boiling the ocean here. What you're doing is you're allowing people to use an app, solve a problem, and then basically cut and paste into whatever electronic health record of their choice, which saves you as a business model from having to go do all that. Yet, you still have the future of going in that direction if you want to. Did I get that correctly? Yeah, that's correct. And I think I really, when I started exploring this space of healthcare, every single person I spoke with was, this is so complicated, you need to take all of this to account and blah, blah, blah. And then in some sense, not we didn't ignore them, but in some sense we said, let's just build the simplest thing that could be put in the hand of a clinician and be useful. Even the way we market it, this is going to Kaiser service to them. We make it very easy for a clinician to find it out, find out, trial it, and then pay if they want and cancel if they don't like it anymore. So in some sense, we're simply thinking a lot of it and we build, build. Even when you look at the app, it's as simple as a WhatsApp or, you know, it's a very simple experience. And then the fact is that even doing just this without the integration, this is such a painful problem that even doing, honestly, 60, 70% of the job is still very valuable and clinicians are 
truly loving it. Like we're getting a lot of true love from our clinicians, which is the most satisfying and fun part of it. So we don't get a lot of startups on this podcast. And so just for the audience benefits, when you're doing a startup as a CEO, it's a, a simultaneous equation, right? You're trying to get the product and you're trying right. to get people to use it, but then you're trying to raise funding and right. then you have an exit to get return, which you need to be, you go public or you get bought by somebody, you get all three of those things going at once. So given that sort of architecture in the context for this question, what challenges is your organization facing with your product to match the future of where healthcare is going? You have the short-term launching, but then the the longer term of healthcare. What's the evolution of your product? How do you see it playing out? And how big do you see your organization getting? Yeah, I think in three phases. I think phase one is really, I think food is good. I think it's not great yet. And I think great would be that any clinician who picks it up very quickly, Freed can create the, be the best AI scribe for them. So it understands the templates and the style. We get like 100 pieces of feedback every day telling us, why is it not learning that I like my notes this way and not, not this way? So doing all of that, like really solving the scribe problem completely, I think that's the immediate phase two that we're already working on is I actually think that shouting is a very important, but only one piece of really reducing this burden of administrative burden and tasks that clinicians have to do. So really starting to build on top, but it's a really good foundation. So we start to build now models for billing and pre-charting and surfacing insights from up to date in, in real time and, and, and all of that to really make it so that really clinicians go back to spending hopefully 100% of the time on care with the patient, not with the computer. So that's the big deal of what this product becomes. But actually for me, the biggest kind of aspiration here is, I think it's at the very least disappointing that there are zero technology companies that clinicians love, I would say they probably, to some extent, despise most of them in, in the context of, of healthcare. And I truly think there's a big opportunity to just create a company that is like dedicated for them, a product that is focused just on what they need. And truly, my aspiration is to build a brand that my wife would be proud of and our friends, and they would be, hey, here's the, the company that is built for clinicians, like Nike is for athletes. I'm reading the Nike book now, so it, it resonates with me a lot. Yeah, I think if in 20 years I can quit this because I'm too old and this would be a legacy of just a company that just benefits clinicians. I think that would be, that would be something I'd be proud of and hopefully make a few clinicians' lives better. So what are the obstacles that in the next few years for your company that, not in, obviously money being one of them is the startup, right? You're always raising money, but yeah. as you see healthcare evolve in your vision here, what needs to be solved on your side or from a policy, public policy side or from a hospital administration side that is, a, is an impediment right now? Yeah, I would say one of my learnings from my previous startup is that we've done everything correctly way, way too slowly. So I think as there's a startup, you have to execute really fast, seize the opportunity. This is not seeing this opportunity. You don't need to be a genius. So I think mm -hmm. we need to move fast and do it better than everyone else. Not only in terms of competition, in terms of just like the opportunity is now, not tomorrow. I think secondly, healthcare is a space where you can create damage and destroy yourself pretty quickly. I think if we're complacent about anything, something like HIPAA or privacy, and we have some something bad happening, one New York Times article can end, end the company. So I think we need to be more responsible than some consumer app that can do whatever they want. And lastly, yeah, I would say that the last part is the biggest risk of the risk that we don't know about. And I think, I truly think that AI is the biggest thing that humanity has experienced and it's moving so quickly. We really don't know what's going to happen a year from now or two years from now or five. So it just, I think keep, keeping up with the future and adapting and moving really quickly, 
I think would be necessary because nobody knows what's even what's possible now. Nobody really knows what we can get out of those technologies even today, let alone in a year and in 10 years. So I think being super, super agile and adapting is necessary. It's good to have three pieces, but they were a fourth one. I think the fourth one is really who knows what regulation will be with everything happening here. So again, I think it's on incumbent on us to navigate that in the best possible way, but that's also not a small challenge in this market. And you can see President Biden did an executive order. The ONC is working on different standards. And, and then they stopped uh, the government right. quantum computing and AI in the past 90 days. Mm-hmm. So I think there's also some macro forces, obviously, to your point that right. you be aware of. So how right. do you keep current on all these changes? Obviously, a startup by its very nature is running fast and working long hours. But at the same time, to your point, you just talked about the important things you need to look at. How do you stay current? That's a good question. I never said a perfect answer. No, I think for us, the guiding principle is just like really to obsess about not only my wife, but clinicians in general. So what are clinicians on our platform right now? What do they need? What's working for them? Really stay on top of that and keep just pushing the envelope on how we can serve them better and solve the problems and, and so on. I think that's always the guiding force. And then honestly, secondly, and that's my main focus right now is to bring very smart mission-driven people to the team to help with that because I can't by myself know everything about AI and about healthcare. You just need really good people. And yeah, it's actually after this, we have a conversation with, with the team and I'm going to speak about, hey, we have to iterate faster and move faster. And you, you, so I think it's constant, you constantly, maybe I, I take a step back. One of my insights about startup is that as a startup founder, you're always a failure. Why is that? Because if your startup is not growing fast and not succeeding, then you fail by definition. But actually when it is, you're always one step behind in terms of the skill set that you need to have and what you need to know. You're always behind. So in some sense, every day when we wake up, it's even when we're doing amazingly. What problem are we not solving? What are we missing? What are we falling behind on? So I think it's a constant battle of an athlete. Okay, how do I shave another second and become better? So it's that constant struggle to it, it may be a little color commentary for the audience who maybe isn't familiar with startups as much. When you're in a business that has cash flow positive, you're not as paranoid about cash. And so if I only had $1,000 next month to spend, that's called burn rate, my goal is to always be faster than my burn rate. And if you are a little slow in something, but you're still spending salaries, you can take two months to do something, that, one month, but you only had one month of, of coverage, right? So you always have this racing mentality when you're non-cash flow positive that is keeps startup people and on, on their feet all the time. Going back to the question, what resources, if people wanted to pick your brain on what resources you follow to stay current on, particularly on the AI and the IT side, I, I suspect the resource that you use on healthcare is probably your spouse. <laughs> but for, right. for the AI side and what's going on with government regulations and things like that, where do you go? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I think, yeah, honestly, a good I think it's obvious, but a good group to follow right now is OpenAI. I think they're really leading the chart in terms of they just have their dev day. So you know, I don't watch a lot of TV or stuff like that, but I, I sat and listened to that because they're really pushing the frontier there. Yeah, I would say, yeah. So I think the obvious stuff is, yeah, follow those big companies. What are they doing? What is Google doing? They just came up with some, I just heard today, some amazing weather forecasting model, which is like a thousand times faster and cheaper. And it is more accurate than what we've been using for the past 20 years. So I think just being curious and following that is one thing. Uh, And I think the second thing is to, I think that's more important, force yourself to use this stuff. Still a lot of people haven't even tried ChatGPT, let alone the new things they come up with. So 
just force yourself to put it into your, in your life. For example, I really like writing. I have a blog about startups. So I hate using AI for writing and I'm still forcing myself in order to just at least understand what it can do and cannot do and how it's improving. Because I think if you're not touching it, it's all feels very theoretic, but it's, it's a very real thing that can improve and damage our lives right now. And I think we all have at least some responsibility to, to use it, try it, figure out what it is. It's like computer. If you're not going to use this thing, then it, very quickly it'll be outdated. And I, I think it, it matches, it, it takes your strengths and it fills your weaknesses the way I look at it. So I, I have a, a dedication in my first book to my wife, who's a, a CMU professional writer, master's degree and undergraduate in, in rhetoric and just an amazing writer. And I would write chapters in my book and I would, some days I, it would come out great and some days it would be terrible. And she could always make something sound just unbelievable. And mm-hmm. she would tell me I'm missing steps and things mm-hmm. like that. But at the same time, she would say to me, don't underestimate your knowledge of the content. And so what I use ChatGPT and Claude for, um, particularly sometimes Bard, but if I'm writing a concept and, and I'm telling a story, it helps me make it clearer. And so for me, that's a real benefit and it saves my wife 100 hours of proofreading stuff too. But the things that I'm putting into it, I don't think it could come up with. So I don't think that... Right. People say it's it's doing the work for you. It's not. It can be a partner. So when yeah, you hundred percent, I like. I think that yeah, it's a it's an amazing tool. And the, again, in writing, the best writers will be the writers who use it effectively. But yeah, but it's not gonna. It's actually interesting when you ask it to just write something. It's so generic and boring. But if you give it some yes. of your insights, suddenly it's hey, it actually has some depth to it. So agree. Now, I think one of the challenges are for companies is that it's recording that information and expanding its data set. So the, there's a real question by bigger companies. Did you just give up your intellectual property now for us individuals? It's not so much a concern. But you were talking about the simplicity of your business model today and what artificial intelligence needs in the future as a big data set. And so today, the secret sauce for you is you're not requiring all this connectivity, which makes it very easy for people to adopt it. But for you to evolve and differentiate, eventually you have to get your own unique data sets, right? So how do you plan on doing something like that? That's a very good question. And ultimately with AI, that's the only differentiator that you have some data site insight access that, that is unique. Yes, I would say. So the way we approach that let me see how to break it down. So I'll tell you a few things. The simplest thing is just, you don't, just by the fact, by the sheer fact that you have something out in the world that people are using, that allows you to improve the thing. So what do I mean by that? Every day to today, we get feedback about, hey, this medication name is incorrect. So now we can take that. We don't have to train a whole model for that. We're just knowing that piece is not working, gives us information on how to improve it. So this the fact that you have user using it and we see, for example, something that we measure is, which parts of the note without having actually access to the note and again for HIPAA compliance, which parts are being edited a lot, which parts are being copied or not copied, and that tells us where we need to improve. So that's number one, just have those kind of insights about how people are using it, how they're editing it. The second thing is, yeah, taking that data set. So what we do there in order to, again, maintain compliance is we take a small percentage of notes, and this is all in our terms, it's very transparent, small percentage of notes, and we I'll take a step back. We delete all the, all the data after 30 days today, because again, we have no, we're not in EHR. We don't try to build a mess, all this patient information, but we do take a small percentage of the data 
completely remove it from patient information. And that's how you make this information no longer be a kind of HIPAA protected. It doesn't have any patient information. And that kind of cleaned up data uh, that can be used in order to improve models and trade them and draw insights. So we are starting to do that. And I think the last piece you've alluded to that once you start getting deeper, so connecting to the systems and being part of the system, I think that's what allows you to really have a full picture of, let's say, patient and draw insights there and do more with what you have access to. But it's a process of, again, getting traction, getting trust, connecting to the systems, doing it all in a, the most kind of responsible way possible. So it's a process. I, I don't think we have a lot of venture capitalists, but I can imagine if we have one in the audience right now, they're saying, why? I think to be able to be in compliance and have these bigger models takes a lot of money to run it. And you can walk before you run, as they say, with your model now, make some money, get some learning, and then evolve into that at, at a later day. We had talked previously before we started this interview about your model. And you talked about cardiology, but you also talked about uh, mental health and psychology. And what struck me from my experience is the pathways in, say, cardiology are pretty well known or very well documented at this point. And psychiatry is a more open, intuitive space. I imagine that's a really robust place for your product to be. And you mentioned you have customers in that particular space. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, I think that was a surprise. I naturally built this product for primary care. Oh, so that, that, that's, that's what I know about. And we were very surprised to see psychiatry and therapy actually overtaking that. So they're equal today. And again, we have basically every specialty now using the product, which is awesome. And yeah, I think it's interesting because actually we get the harshest feedback probably from psychology and psychiatry. So it, it points to your point today. For example, something that we do very well in family practices, we remove a lot of the small talk and kind of those details that don't matter, but in psychiatry, they do matter and psychology. But I think so. I think what it shows is that the problem there of this kind of documentation is, is so painful that even a product that is not amazing for them, it's still helpful because they have to document an hour long conversation that goes into different places. Uh, yeah. I, I, as you were saying this, I'm bouncing off your thought there. What strikes me is a physician gets their data from blood tests images, sound of the heart, right? Different things. They question things on lifestyle, but they get their data of which to make a decision from from mm -hmm. some pretty hardwired places. Whereas in psychiatry and psychology, it's talk therapy to get to that data and call that data out. And so perhaps that's... Yeah, that's, yeah. That's like the problem there is, in some sense, even more cumbersome. So even a solution that is, again, not perfect yet is helpful. And if I connect it to the previous question that you had about how improved this is why it's so useful we hear all these folks in psychiatry therapy telling us keep dropping this really important information or no why is this not included so when they yell at us enough we do like to listen and, and improve so now we're actually making adjustment that based on the specialty we will do different stage of summarizing and kind of throwing out different things so that's what allows us to build the best possible ai scribe for each medical context excellent excellent so as you look at your company, what's the next phase of growth for you? I think in terms of growth, so our goal is truly and generally free clinicians from this stuff. Uh, we think they deserve better and that we see that it helps them. Maybe I'll tell you a story. So when we just got started, one of our first kind of clinicians called me and she was yelling me on the Zoom. She was saying, I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe what you created. I, I have a private practice and 
I decided I'm going to shut it down because I was just too burnt out. I couldn't deal with all the administration and literally finding free made me change my mind and I'm going to continue. And yeah, our goal is just to create as many stories like that. So reach as many clinicians, make it as useful for them. And this is really the true measure of hours of clinicians like Freed. And this number is growing really quickly, which I'm proud of. So reaching as many clinicians is the North Star. And make sure we have them more and more, do more and more of the charting for them. On top of that, we want to, as I mentioned earlier, to solve more problems because charting is one big problem. Inbox management is another big problem that uh, we all hear about all the time and really start knocking off those technical problems. Not with the goal of, in any way, replace the clinician, but replace the administrator in the clinician who has to do all this administrative work all the time. To your point, we're going to have a 130,000 physician shortage by 2030. So yeah, if we can't get them more productive or more time-touching patients, anything you can do to do that is, is going to aid in that problem. And, and help them not quit, which is what, what they're doing right now and make it. I think there are so many stories of clinicians who tell their children, don't go into this profession. I think that's changing. That would be a yeah. nice achievement for all of us. Beautiful thing. So where can people go to see a demo of your product or to be able to get your product? So let's start with answer. Freed.ai. That's where you can see it. Uh, our you philosophy just make spell it. it for the audience. Just... Freed. Yes. Yeah, so F-R-E-D dot A-I uh, or getfreed.ai. And then we made it as Seamless, affordable, easy. So there's a free trial. It's very easy to start. You literally don't need to do, know anything or learn anything. And then you can try a free trial. And if you like it, you can subscribe. It's $99 a month. We don't plan to ever increase that. If anything, hopefully we'll be able to, to reduce the price at some point. And we'll put, hopefully, in the show notes. But we also wanted to, for your audience, to offer $50 discount for the first month. If, again, if they like it and want to try it out. So you can have details on that as well. Try it out. If you like it, let us know why. If you don't, we'd also love to hear that as well. But yeah, free.ai. Perfect. Thank you. Anything else you'd want to share with our audience? Anything else to share? Let me think about it. No, maybe I'll go back to the point that I think that I was just yesterday on an AI panel and a lot of the questions from the audience in, in healthcare and a lot of questions were about very clearly people see AI as this kind of huge cloud. What is this kind of scary thing? And I think ultimately... It's just another tool, like math or computers, it's another tool that we can be using different ways. So I would just encourage people not to embrace it blindly, but embrace trying it, try something like free, try other tools and really see how it can, where it can improve your life, where it can't. And I do think it can transform medicine, at least from our kind of modest angle of making clinicians just happier and do less of the things that they don't want to do in the first place. And I guess the biggest testimony is your wife had a day off expressing what this software can do for you, right? <laughs> the biggest test, it's funny because my wife is currently in third year residency, so she, she's not allowed <laughs> to use it yet, but hopefully next year. But yeah, I think the, for me, the testimony is the clinicians who, yeah, who, who use it and, and give us a lot of harsh feedback, but also a lot of praise of how it's helping them. Excellent. Thank you very much for being a guest. I think this has been very educating and I think there's a lot of people that would be interested in getting a look at this. So I, I will have a, a link in my descriptions for sure. I hope so. And uh, thank you so much for everything, for what you do here and for inviting me. Oh, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Chalk Talk Gym podcast. For resources, show notes, and ways to get in touch, visit us at chalktalkgym.com.